Are you ready to get back on track? Good. If you're already back on track, then just keep cranking. Do what you're doing. But for the rest of us, we've got to clear the cobwebs out. You know, if you're talking about your spiritual life, you know, when you have a track, it goes somewhere. You know, with a, a four, if you're going four-wheeling in the dunes at, at Pismo Beach, you can just kind of drive wherever you want. But if you're on a train, there's tracks, and it goes in a certain direction. And so depending on what train you pick, you end up in one location or another. And if you're going to get back on track, the first thing you got to do is make sure you end up on the right track. Because it would be kind of a shame if you spent 40 days and ended up in a wrong location. You said, I've just spent six weeks, but the track I was on didn't lead me to the right place. Now, the title of the sermon today is Googling God. You know, to Google something is, is uh, now common terminology. 20 years ago, uh, the word Google, if somebody used it, it was only a term in mathematics and it was spelled a little different. And it meant a one with a hundred zeros after it. Now, it's a website that searches things out. When Google first began, it just, you know, was trying to compile all this information and put it into one place. Now, it still sort of does that, but it's really more of a marketing search engine because the more you pay, the higher you end up on the search list. So it's not very random anymore. But, you know, if you have kids and they're teenagers, and you ask a question, they go, I don't know. Google it. You ever called in for tech support in a place? And, uh, you know, they take you through their flow chart, which is usually not helpful. I've had tech support people go, I don't know, did you Google it? And I'm like, um, aren't you the expert? And one of them says, yeah, but half the time the literature they send us doesn't, doesn't give us the right answer, and we just Google it anyway when people call in. Yeah, I've never just put God in Google and searched. Probably I should have before the sermon. But the, the fact is, our generations today believe if it's in the Internet... It's true. It is a fact. If you can see it online, it is true. Because I read it on the Internet. You know, that's a dangerous thing. Because if you put in God, if you put in Christianity, you put in salvation, you know what? You're going to get a thousand different tracks to follow. And you've got to make a choice this morning. You know, I've had people say, oh, you know, I really like your church. But I don't know because I read things that somebody says that they don't like your church on the Internet. And you're like, wait, so you'll be fired up here? But if you read something on the Internet... You'll take that as truth over what you know from what you lived out. But that doesn't sound very intellectual to me. 
You know, you got people today that will take what they read on the Internet over what the Bible teaches. And the more websites they can find that agrees with them, somehow that becomes more authoritative than the Bible. You ever tried to have one of those spiritual discussions with somebody? And they expound their opinions, and you go, but here's what the Bible says. And they're like, um, yeah, but you know, I was reading this. Or I just feel this. Well, where did you come up with that? Oh, I write, write it on the Internet. And this person has a Ph.D., and so they're really smart. You know, we are so into credentials. If somebody has a lot of initials, uh, you know, beyond their last name, there are times we will let their opinion trump the Word of God. You know, I don't know how you feel to know that Google isn't a true random search engine. But the more you pay, the higher your listing will come up in the search results. You know, I kind of felt, like, cheated from that. I was like, I'm trying to find legitimate truth here. And all this is, I'm just seeing the list of who paid the most to get to that answer. You know, it's a weighted result. I went to truth. Because sometimes the more initials, the higher up the search engine list. You know, there's only one place we're going to find truth about how to get back on track. And, And it's right here. It may be in book form. It may be ebook form on your Blackberry. I don't want to hear any angry birds being played during my sermon. Be on your iPad. But it's the only place where we're going to find truth about God. I want to start over in Isaiah chapter 40. Because as we get back on track, first thing we've got to understand is God is huge. It is so hard for our mind to grasp how big God is, and it's one of the flaws in our fundamental thinking. Because you start talking about worshiping God, you start talking about following God, and we create a God in our mind with all of our flaws, all of our imperfections, maybe the flaws of our parents, you know, how we were raised, how people thought about us, and we give God all of those imperfections, and we think he's a little bit more powerful than we are. And so when we start talking about worshiping God, we think, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. He might be able to help me a little bit. i got a few areas I'd like to change. And, and he's like a booster shot to my life. You know, maybe that's how you feel about getting back on track. You know, this will be great because I do need to add a little spirituality to my life. You know, when we understand how big God is, We understand that that we're not trying to add a little spirituality. But that God defines our life. He created us. He created the universe. He's massive. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read a section here in verse 10. 
See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? You know, the hollow of your hand, that's like if you make, you know, this motion with your hand. The amount of water that you can hold in that hand, that's the hollow of your hand. So that means when God divvied out the oceans, he put a little water in his hand and said, there, Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean. Just that little amount makes an ocean, Indian Ocean, Arctic Ocean. I mean, it's amazing. It says, or with the breadth of his hand, he marked off the heavens. The breadth of your hand is this. It's this distance between your thumb and your pinky. So, you know, it's, you know we're talking about light years. The astronomers are, and God's like, one, two, two and a half. That's how God did it. It says, he's held the dusty earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales. And the hills in a balance. He said, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And to, who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket, they're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. Nor it's animals enough for burnt offerings. Then go down to verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. You see, Isaiah knows that just like we are, we're, we're Googling God. And the people of his day, in about 750 B.C., are like, who's God? And they're having these discussions and trying to figure him out. And, and Isaiah the prophet says, here's who God is. Here's how he measured out the heavens. Here's how he measured out the oceans. Nobody taught him knowledge. He's God. The nations... You know, we think our nations are so impressive. We go, oh, man, our country's awesome, and this country's awesome. And God's like, no, 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 they're like fine dust. Yeah, you think about dust in your home. It's annoying. We don't like it. We try and clean it away. We don't go, oh, look at that dust. That is so impressive. No, Isaiah's trying to think, like, what's the smallest thing? They, he couldn't say, no, they're like a little atom. 
because they didn't know what atoms or molecules was. The smallest thing they knew was a dust particle. So, you know, the, the smallest thing Adam can think of, he's like, oh, these, these nations, fine dust. Not even like a big dirt clod. It's fine dust. So to whom will you compare me? What is your vision of God? Who do you think of when you think of God? If we're going to get on track, we've got to recognize that God is huge. We're going to watch about ten minutes of an excerpt uh, from a video called Indescribable. Because I just thought he does a great job bringing what Isaiah 40 says to life. And so we're going to dim the lights and for about 10 minutes here, watch this, and then we'll continue on with the sermon. 